Okay, we'd like to welcome you back to our fourth and final part of our current event and weekly Bible study. This is more of a Bible study today. Um, for February 14th, 2010, and uh, last part of this teaching on the cross of Christ, we're going to go over like the first couple chapters of Job. I think it's appropriate we look at Job, we look at somebody who was essentially the most righteous person on the planet at the time, and what he had to suffer. And I've got some really cool notes I think I've written over the years regarding um, the book of Job and um, that relates to this. And the, one of the first ones I had is, if your faith has never been tested, then you can't rely on it. I mean, let's face it, if you just lived a life of ease your whole life, and your faith, which is the, really the foundation of our salvation, if you think, you're saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. So if your faith has never been tested, you can't rely on it. Here's another thing, another analogy. Faith is like a muscle. And if a muscle is exercised, it grows bigger. If our faith is tested and exercised, it goes I truly believe it grows bigger. I guarantee you that's what happened. Because, like I said, these things that I've been through, particularly with high-level witchcraft and stuff like that, the only thing it's ever done is increase my faith. Because you get on the other side of that and you're like, wow, the Lord Jesus Christ totally delivered me out of that situation. I could have died real easy. I mean, I had one of the worst curses I could have got possibly put on me from a voodoo high priest. And nothing happened to me. And... The people that were there that saw the curse that were actually uh, Haitians, they came absolutely unglued when they saw what happened. Because they thought I was dead. And unfortunately, one of the guys, the guy that bottle that they buried on my property where I worked, he touched that bottle and I guess he threw it in the river or something. He died a couple years later. Somebody shot him in the head. So, he, you know, I, I, but he wasn't saved. I know he wasn't saved. There was no fruit whatsoever. He, you know. So anyway, but again, it was, it was a test of, of faith. So I, I like it, those kinds of, of things, because um, God gets the glory. I mean, that's one of the main motivations we should really have, is, is through this, can, can the Lord Jesus Christ get the glory? It's not about me, it's about the Lord. It's about the Lord showing his power, his might, his strength. That's what it's really about. That's when I get excited. When I see the Lord's name being glorified and people getting saved. It's really not about the individual. Or it shouldn't be. It's about them, their faith increasing, I think. That's a good, awesome byproduct. But it's really, it should be really about others. About what can this event do to save others, for God to get, for the Lord Jesus Christ to get glory. That's when I really get excited when I see that happen. So now, interesting point, not one time in this whole book does Job ever recognize the devil. Ever think about that? He doesn't even recognize it's the devil that's doing this. He doesn't even, he doesn't, not one time in the whole book. God used the devil to test Job and as an, as an example for us, that this is like the trial of our faith. Some people would say, well, Job didn't you know, deserve that. But, you know, hey, um, God's ways are not our ways. Satan is mentioned 14 times in the first two chapters of Job and is only mentioned a very few times uh, after that in all the Bible, as far as, you know, just Satan himself. Um, so... I'm just going to read kind of the, the first couple chapters here. Uh, there was a man in the land of Uz, U-Z. That word means, uh, I believe it, the literal translation is fertile, U-Z. And I, I had wrote a note in here that it's most likely modern day Kuwait. Of course, I, again, I can't be dogmatic about that, but just an interesting side note. There was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job, and a man that was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Skewed meaning he, he tried to get away from evil. He tried to 
abstain from all appearance of evil as the Bible talks about. He tried to not put himself in a position of temptation. Um, he feared God, which is, like I've said before, so incredibly important. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, understanding, um, knowledge. The angel of the Lord encampeth around about that fear him. And when it says he was perfect and upright, it's not talking about walking around in sinless perfection, you know. Um, but he was he was the most righteous man, I believe, on the planet. I think we can draw that from the scriptures that we're going to end up uh, reading here. Okay, so... Um, another thing to, to bear in mind about this whole uh, thing with Job, God... Um, permitted the devil to do what he did to Job, but God was still in control the whole time. It's another thing to think about. It's not like just the devil can run roughshod over us without any permission from God. If that was the case, we'd all be wiped out. Because we're created in God's image and he wants to kill us anyway just from that standpoint. That's, all, that's the only reason the devil wants, needs to kill us. We're created in God's image. And he knows that that would be a way to hurt God. Because we're, you know, that's all the excuse the devil would need. And they were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance was also 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 5,000 yoke of oxen, and 500 she-asses, and a very great household. So this man was the greatest of all men in the east. Um, his sons went and feasted, and his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it was so that when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and um, Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them. For Job said, "It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts." Thus Job did continually. So this was back, you know, in um, in that dispensation where they actually sacrificed animals for, you know, for their sins. And then Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth, came and paid that price once and for all. It was finished, okay? And then the sacrifices didn't need to go on, but this was before that. Uh, and I wrote, I wrote a, another thing in here that's good to think about. There will come a day when those that are in the Lord's will, will suffer persecution, most likely. I mean, you might have lived your whole life, and there comes a day when all of a sudden, man, a light switch, this was like it was for Job. He had lived, I mean, pretty awesome life up to this point, and then all of a sudden it was like a light switch that went on. And man, oh man, it was like, what's going on? This probably was, was his reaction, I would imagine, to a certain extent. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came also among them. Now, this phrase, the sons of God, is only used in the New Testament, in, or in the Old Testament, in regard to angels. It is only used in the Old Testament, which was originally written in Hebrew, in regard to angels. Not the godly line of Seth, as some say it was in Genesis 6, when it says, the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives, all that they have chose. And in those days there were giants in the land, men of old, men of renown, these were the Nephilim. That wasn't no godly line of Seth that mated with the daughters of men. And if there was a godly line of Seth, why, why was such wickedness spawned from it? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Anyway, by comparing Scripture with Scripture, we look at the uses of the sons of God in the Old Testament, and we know that that phrase only has to do with angels. These were good angels before they fell. They came down and they procreated with the daughters of men in Genesis 6. Anyway, I've said that before, but I wanted to throw that in there. Okay, so the sons of God themselves before, came to present themselves before the Lord. These were good angels. And then Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto, unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. It's kind of interesting. He's saying in the earth. In 
Hmm. It's interesting. Well, if you think about it, hell's in the earth, according to the Bible. The Bible talks about, and they, and they, they dug, or they, they digged it, unless they digged into hell, these types of verses, where it's very clear that hell is in the earth somewhere. Okay, and I believe Satan can walk, you know, it's not like he's bound by um, walls and, and stuff like this. He can pretty much, wherever he needs to go on the earth, he can go there. Um, and the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and skeweth evil. Man, can you imagine the Lord saying that about you to Satan? You talk about the highest compliment you could ever be paid on in the universe. That would pretty much be it for God to be bragging on you. Woo, didn't that give you chills? Man, that gives me chills thinking about that. I know that ain't me, but praise the Lord. I can't wait to meet Job, man. Man, can you imagine God bragging on you? Wow, that's, that's almost incomprehensible. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? And in other words, does Job you know, fear God for nothing? Hast not thou made an hedge about him? and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. See, God can do that. God can do that. He doesn't do it for everybody. Most people can't handle it. I really believe that's a big reason why God doesn't do it for a lot of people, because they can't handle it. The Bible talks about, you know, but a rich man, many will fall into temptations and snares and the cares of the world. Most people that are rich, that's what happens to them because they can't maintain their godly integrity with all the with all the riches because they get their mind off the Lord Jesus Christ and onto the riches. I think that's why it happens a lot of times. Not every time. I'm saying some of the time. I would I would imagine that that is uh... now an inter- an interesting point here. Realize Satan recognize that God was doing this for Job. See, he can see that hedge. If you're a born-again Bible-believing Christian, and I think to the extent to which you've yielded your life to God, he's put a hedge around you. The angel of the Lord encampeth around about them that fear him. It's a hedge you can't see, but the devils and the demons and the evil entities can see it. God's in control, in other words. God is, even with this story... God is firmly in control. And what we don't want to do as Christians is give the devil place to get through that hedge, to get into our lives, and because we can give him permission. We can literally give the devil permission to mess with us. Because if we're doing the wrong thing willfully, well then, you know, this hedge of protection can start breaking down. But it's about us doing that, not about God doing that. Most of the time. I mean, you know, in this case, God allowed it to happen. And um, so let's go further. Verse 11. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. So Satan's challenging God. Saying, oh yeah, well if you, do, if you, um, if you do this, then he'll curse you to your face. And another note I have written here. This is Satan's goal. For all Christians to curse God. To quit on God. What will it take for you to quit on God? Look at Job. What did it take for Job to quit? He never did quit. No matter how bad it got. And trust me, I'm not saying that because I think, oh, I'm right up there with old Job. Oh yeah, me and Job, we're arm in arm. I'm telling you, you know... Job could have only got through this through God. And through fear of God and humility. And you're going to see that in this story. That's why, I mean, I just love Job. A uh, sermon that a, a 
evangelist that I dearly love named Melvin Sisson preached. And the title of the sermon was called The Film is Being Developed. Meaning, think of a Polaroid where you take the picture and when the picture first comes out it's just blank. And then you turn it upside down on a table and in a few minutes it's developing and developing and I don't know how long it takes, three or four or five minutes for it to fully develop. And then you've got a nice crisp clear picture. Well think of that process. If you get a snapshot of your life right now, and you're not understanding what you're going through and why you're going through it. You don't understand it, but God does. The film is being developed. It's it's a process that's happening. You don't understand what the end's going to end up looking like. So don't judge the situation and or get give up on God or run away from God or because you don't understand what God may be trying to do. Through a given situation. I mean, I could have got mad with with um, God with this whole last 10 years of my parents seeing them have their $2.5 million company stolen by front of one of the most wicked families that's ever walked the earth. Probably Illuminati, fifth richest family in Minnesota. And I'll be honest with you, I struggle with it because even though my parents were unsaved, it wasn't right what was done to them. It was flat out is illegal and wrong and how they bought off the judges and they flew judges in to rule against my parents and oh my word and how hard they worked to build that company up and have that all stripped to ultimately have my dad lose his house. His, um, well, his last week when he lost his life, he lost his, his job and my mom's only source of income. Lost his business, found out the last week, and then had a massive heart attack that same week as they were getting evicted from their house and died. Ten years of that stress when that first started happening led up to his death and him losing everything. But you know what? It was all worth it if that's what it took to get him saved. And I witnessed to him on his deathbed And I believe he heard me. I just do. I had too many other things confirm that he heard me. And uh, just led my mom to the Lord too. She had to lose everything too. Had a stroke. Couldn't move her right or left side. I mean, in there, end stage cancer. Lost just basically everything. I mean, we're talking, my parents at one time were, I mean, they were really going to live the big life. They're going to get this money. They had a. They're going to have a winter home up in um, Washington area. Beautiful piece of land they'd already bought. Have a home here. Well, have a home here for the winter. They were going to live it right, you know. But it was all stripped from them. But the thing is, is if you looked at the situation on the surface, you'd say, "Man, this is just wrong." What was done, to, and it is wrong. There's no doubt about it. What was done to them was real wrong. But God knew what it was going to take to get them saved. I always asked the Lord um, after I got saved. I said, "Lord, whatever it takes, if you have to hang my parents out over hell in order to get them saved. Do whatever it takes." Not like God needed my permission, but I think he's going to honor a prayer like that. Because it was horrific what it took. And it wasn't just horrific for them, it was kind of horrific for me. Because I was kind of in the middle of it to a certain extent for all those years. But but had they got that money? And had they got the big head? Because they already were moving in that direction anyway. My dad was always, and my mom. He had to humble him. And it was a 10 year humbling process. Which ultimately, they were humbled not only by losing their business, losing everything they had, losing their home, losing their business. But they ultimately, and most likely my mom's going to pass away, they're ultimately losing their life and their health. I don't know what more God could do to, to get somebody saved. But I praise the Lord Jesus Christ for it. I'm not resentful or about any of that. No way. Whatever it takes. Uh, so anyway, just think about that. The film being, the film is being developed. If you ever get a chance to hear that, I don't, I don't think Melvin Sisson's teachings are up. You might want to do a keyword search on, uh, YouTube. Um, I love them. I know them. I've known them personally. I kind of, you know, I, I, I kind of, uh, not really parted ways, but 
you know, he goes from one pretty much 501c3 church to the other. He, they, a lot of these preachers, they don't quite understand that concept. And I, it's caused me to not be enemies with, with any of them, but it's, it's kind of caused me to kind of be separated from a lot of people that I even used to be friends with. Not that I don't love them, I just, there's just that, that it's, it's always there. And so, um, I haven't talked to him in a long time, but I love the man dearly. God bless him. Um, Job learned that God loved him, but also that God will try him. That was a comment I wrote down from a Melvin Sisson teaching. And that you can lose everything and still have everything. And he also learned the power of Satan. If Satan's permitted to operate roughshod in your life, Job learned the power of Satan too. A lot of people, like particularly charismatics, they go around and say, Oh, Satan, this stupid idiot. I trample you under my feet and all that. I wouldn't be going around doing that. I wouldn't be going around doing that. Why? I have Bible to back it up. Two Bible verses. Uh, the one where it talks about in Jude, and there's another verse that's very similar to that, where it said, when disputing about the body of Moses, Satan, or no, Michael, brought not a railing accusation against Satan, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, for some reason or another, Satan was trying to get Moses' body. I don't know what he was going to try to do with it. I mean, he was going to try to what, reanimate it or something? Put a devil in it and reanimate I don't know what he was going to try to do. But he wanted his body for some reason or another. And they were Michael and Satan were disputing about the body of Moses after he had died. He wasn't permitted to go into the promised land. But Michael, who is greater in power than us. That's what it says in the Bible. He's an archangel. I mean, you know, remember it says we're made a little lower than the angels. Well, he was an archangel too, so he was of the highest order. Now, Satan wasn't an archangel. He was the anointed cherub that covereth, as the Bible talks about in Ezekiel. So Satan wasn't an archangel. He might have, I mean, I don't know, how, like the rankings and everything. I mean, I don't, it's kind of hard to be dogmatic. I mean, there's cherubim, cherubim, archangels, angels. There's different orders. There's different ranking systems. I don't know where Michael ranked regarding when, when actually Satan was Lucifer and was actually before he fell from heaven when he was the anointed cherub that covereth. But Michael's about the highest order of archangel. And he brought not a railing accusation against Satan. But he said, the Lord rebuke you. So he doesn't. He didn't do like a lot of these Pentecostals or even some other people that I've known and say, "Oh, Satan's a punk and an idiot." And oh, I wouldn't do that. I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think it's something we should do from a biblical standpoint. I think we we quote scripture like Jesus Christ did to him, and the Lord Jesus Christ rebuke you, Satan. You know, I think that's appropriate. But to go much beyond that is getting into some dangerous territory. So, uh, I mean, I've very rarely ever heard anybody talk about that. But uh, I, I think it's very important. Because it's just not something... There's it, kind of a warning in the Bible about that. Not to do that. Um, an interesting note I would written here regarding this film being developed. He learned that the trouble he was going through was for his testing. The film was being developed in all 42 chapters of Job. At the beginning, though, Job didn't see chapter 42, verse 12. He couldn't see chapter 42, verse 12. Okay, so let's just go there. Job 42, verse 12. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than the beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 she-asses. He also had seven sons and three daughters. 
Well, they say, well, hold on. He didn't double everything Job had. That was the amount of sons and daughters he had before. Yeah, but his sons and daughters are still, the spirits of them are still there. They went to heaven, so he did double it. If you think about it, um, they were actually doubled because he knew where sons and daughters were when they died in Job 1. That's a pretty cool little thought too, isn't it? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh, if that don't get you fired up, your wood's wet. That's enough to make a Presbyterian run the aisles. <laughs> so anyway. <sighs> okay, so let's go further. And his son's in... Okay, so let's... let's uh, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Uh, so after uh, Satan said, But put forth thine hand and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabians, the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I am, the only, and I am only escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there also came another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the, the sheep and the servants and consumed them. This is the power of Satan unchecked by God. Now, granted, there was a check, but God permitted him. If Satan had his way, he'd do this to everybody, most likely. And hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and only I am escaped alone to tell thee. I mean, this wasn't just his, his cattle. This was his servants, too. They're all being killed and slaughtered, burned up. That's not a fun way to die. While he was yet speaking, there came another... This is like one thing after another after another. I know I've said that a little bit with what I've been going through. It's been one thing after another after another after What is that compared to this? <laughs> Who am I to even complain? So anyway, let's go further. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away. Yea, have slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And only I am alone escaped to tell thee. Satan let one person escape just so that they would get this report. And Satan probably tried to coordinate it so it was one after another after another. It's another thing to think about. It'd be one thing if it was a day later and you heard it, you had a kind of a chance to process the first bad report. Oh no, Satan orchestrated this so that they came one after another after another. Bam, 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 bam. I mean, that's even a worse way because you're just becoming more and more overwhelmed. Your adrenals, which are these little glands that sit on top of your kidneys, every time you undergo these stressful events, it secretes uh, epipenephrine and um, adrenaline and these types of things. And the more stress you're under, and this is traumatic stress, the more those adrenals are trying to cope with the stress and they just get to a point where they can't do it. They just get to a point where there's no more adrenaline, there's no more uh, of these hormones. And that's what... Satan was trying to work on, on Job. He was just trying to get him just so overwhelmed, so stressed out, that he was going to literally try to, you know, he was trying to get him to curse God. Is what he was. This was the challenge, if you think about it. What was his goal here? To get Job to curse God. That's what his goal was. That's important to Satan, that you curse God. Because then Satan could say, oh yeah, this is the best you had, God. Look, I got him to curse you. He wasn't that great after all, was he? That's what Satan wants. He wants to gloat. He wants to, but you know what? God's in control. He's way smarter than Satan. And God knew the beginning from the end. And God knew how the film was going to be developed. And God knew Job wasn't going to... See, this has to do with this whole subject that I just covered. A lot of these verses that could upset us, that, that are like, oh, well, Lord, I... I'm never going to be good. I don't have that. Well, the Holy Spirit's capable of doing anything that you need to do. Can I be an overcomer? Can I truly bear the cross of Christ? Can I can I suffer per, uh, you know um, in persecutions and tribulations 
and and get through it and not complain and endure to the end? Sure you can. In the name of Jesus Christ, I'm here today to encourage you and to convince you with the scriptures that yes, you can. And the book of Job was written for that very reason, to get you to see that you are perfectly capable of getting through whatever God would put in your path. That's why the book of Job was written. He was a man. He was a person, just like you and I. We have the advantage, though, that the Holy Spirit actually lives inside us. At that time, the Holy Spirit could dwell upon a man, as it talked about, but it wouldn't dwell within a man. When Christ came, he tore down that partition and literally, which, and again, you could do a whole study on that, but that allowed the Holy Spirit to come in and dwell us. So we're actually more equipped than Job was, okay? Uh, in, in, in a lot of different respects, we are. So let's go further. Uh, let's see. So, okay, so this is what, three reports here? Three bad reports? Uh, yeah, three. Okay, now, then, verse 18, while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, thy sons and thy daughters, now we're getting not just the cattle in your service, now we're talking your sons and your daughters. There's sons and there's daughters, seven sons, three daughters, were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I am only um, escaped alone to tell thee. Can you imagine? I can't even... Oh God bless... I've, I've heard preachers get up there and, and get on Job. I've, I can't tell you how many times I've heard preachers get up and preach and condescendingly speak against Job and, and uh, like some of the things that he said a little bit later against when he was dealing with his so-called friends that were really pretty much only sent there from Satan anyway just to make the whole situation worse. How dare any of us speak out against Job? <laughs> Unless you have suffered like he suffered and walked in his shoes who, and now I'm not talking about my listeners. I'm talking about these preachers that I've heard condescendingly as though they would have done so much better and they would have handled it so much more in a holy manner. Man, you, you have no business going about saying Job was whatever. I, I, that just makes my blood boil. Yeah. So anyway, I just, that, to me, that's something that I wouldn't, I don't think, I, I think that, <laughs> to be quite honest, if you were to preach a sermon like that, where you're going after Job, using him as a, well, he's a whatever, what I've heard, uh, man, I'd be, I'd be afraid what God would do, do to me if I did something like that. Man, I can't wait to see Job. God bless him. I haven't suffered like this. Verse 20, then Job arose and ran his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. <laughs> so what, what's Job's first reaction? And these people have the audacity to go after Job. What's his first reaction? 100% total humility before God. What more could you do to humble yourself? He ran his mantle, shaved his head, fell down upon the ground and worshipped. And he was probably the richest man on the planet at the time. I mean, man, I, I don't see any cursing God there. And the exact reaction that Satan didn't want, he did. Now, we need to look at that and use that as an example in our own lives. When things happen like traumatic, tragic stuff, how do we react? Because God's watching. Am I saying that because I think I'm the gold standard? By no means. Because I fail God daily. And I fail God many times in this department. And, and again, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we would be able to react properly. So let's go further. And said, and here's what Job said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. And the Lord the Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
man. Oh, I love him. God bless him. Oh, man, this this story just makes me teary-eyed just reading it. I just love his reaction. Doesn't get much better now. Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, I don't think he really did have his, his, his eyes truly set on heavenly things. And the Lord gave, and he took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then verse 22. And in all this, Job sinned not, nor changed, charged God foolishly. Job didn't go to God and say, Oh God, you did, or why did you do this? Or I mean, maybe he said why, maybe, but not, he didn't charge God foolishly. He didn't go to God and say, You did this because... You hate me, or, or he didn't charge God foolishly. And all this Job sinned not. Man. Unbelievable. That that is just wow. And then verse chapter two. Again, there was a day when the sons of God, the good angels, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to, fro, in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth? Here's God bragging on Job again. (laughs) Well, see, God knew he could brag on Job. If God knew that Job wasn't going to be able to handle this, he wouldn't have even posed this to Satan. So if you're going through a situation and you think, I can't do it, just remember, God knows the beginning from the end and he knows you can do it. God knows you can do it. He knows the beginning from the end and he's equipped you as a born-again, Bible-believing Christian. Man, this should get you fired up now. Now, some of this other stuff I was getting into, that can get you down in, in a little bit. But you have to, again, let's compare Scripture with Scripture. I know a lot of people say, well, Job's a depressing book of the Bible. And it's really not a depressing book. Look at how it turns out. The film is being developed. Look at how it turns out. Okay, so... Um, and the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and skeweth evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity? <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Woo! Man, this gets me fired up. Although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. There wasn't even any cause for God to do what Satan ended up doing. There, I mean, in other words, it wasn't because of Job's personal sin that this happened. Like could be said about for probably the vast majority of born again Christians, there's probably good amounts of reasons where um, maybe we've given place unto Satan and, and God could permit something like to happen. But in Job's case, there wasn't even that. There was no cause for that. Verse four. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath, he will give for his life. Put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. Boy, isn't Satan just evil? Man, just pure, unadulterated evil. Man, is he evil. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. In other words, you can't kill him, but you can do about everything else to him other than kill him. How'd you like that? That happened to you. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. Man, can you imagine that? Boils from the top, tip top of your head to the soles of your feet. Where would you even lay to escape the pain? You'd be laying right on the boils and you know how sensitive they can be? If, I mean, if you, if you have a pimple that gets infected. These were boils. These were like pimples on steroids. All over them. And you can you imagine how horrific you would look if you had that on you? On. I mean, you, you just can't even imagine. Now, he's just trying to process losing everything that he had. 
essentially. His children, all of his cattle and livestock and these things, his servants. I can't imagine the amount of stress that would bring upon somebody happening all at once and then having this happen. I just, I can't even process it. Uh, the Bible talks about where, in Hebrews, where it talks about these people that have um, gone before us and been martyred and, and people that have endured the faith and the, uh, the, the fight and all these things. And it says, of whom the world was not worthy. Uh, that's what I think about when I think of Job. I don't want to elevate, I'm, I'm saying he did this through the Lord though. I don't want to elevate him into an idolatric status or something. But, you know, he was a wonderful example uh, of what God can do through an individual. I want to give the Lord Jesus Christ the credit for what happened through Job, though. So, let's go further. Okay, so then, so Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot under his crown, and he took him a pot shirt to scrape himself withal, like a piece of pottery. And I guess, I don't know if he was like trying to pop the boils or whatever. Oh, Lord have mercy. And he sat down among the ashes. So now, how much more humble can you get? You are covered head to toe with boils. You have lost everything. You're prop- Job in his own mind is probably thinking, man, I have... Who knows? I mean, what I would start to think, to be honest, what I would kind of think is, what have I done to bring this on myself? That's, that would be, personally, that would be, now, a, a lot of people would curse God. I'm not saying that I'm ab- above, like, I'm so holy or pure, but that would, I'm trying to put myself in his shoes, and I'm thinking, what would I be thinking? I'd be thinking, what did I do to bring this on myself? Because it has to be something I did. And in Job's case, that wasn't even the case. So you'd have that stress on you, too, because you're, you're doing your mental Rolodex trying to think, well, I know God's in control. Why is all this happening? My children are all gone. Almost all, basically, his 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 um, servants are, are all dead. His the way he made a living that's all gone. All of his livestock's been stolen, and we're talking by unsaved, ungodly bands of people that had come in and done all this. And you're thinking, well, it's got to be God's judgment on me. I mean, wouldn't you think that kind of? I mean, I can't imagine any other thought. So you would get into a, I would probably be really struggling with self-condemnation at that point as well, on top of everything else. And now you've got boils, and you're in agony. Agony. And you can't escape. How could you even sleep if you had boils covering you from the top of your head to the soles of your feet? How could you walk? How could you walk? With boils on the bottom of your... You, the only thing you can do is just kind of lay there and be miserable. I was in Hope Hospice yesterday, and there was a guy, and I didn't even realize this. I thought it was like an old guy at the end of life that was like had dementia or something. And he was in there just screaming. And I found out it literally was because he was in agony. And they had this guy on every drug they could put him on. I mean, they had him drugged up. They said, they, we've tried every combination we can try. Agony. You ever hear anybody in agony? It's, it's not, it's something very unsettling. Um, I found out he was a 29-year-old man that had cerebral palsy. And his whole family has it too. And he's on the end stage, just in agony. And I thought to myself, you know something? Satan can come in. And you look at what Jesus did in a lot of his ministries. What did he do? He cast out devils and demons. Many of them were connected with what they call spirits of infirmity. Think about this. If a spirit is in you causing a debilitating disease, I believe that spirit can over, override any drug and any pain receptor. And even though you may be trying to numb it with drugs, I believe that spirit knows how to still inflict pain. What are they all about? Putting you in pain, agony, getting you to sin, whatever. He was in agony on unbelievably huge doses of pain meds. Man, God bless him. 
I found out about this because I know the nurse that the nurse with my mom, who's with my mom, who's I found out as a born again Christian, and I believe God orchestrated all that. She told me about it. She was just her heart was broke over the whole thing. Um. So Satan can bring about these things. Most of the time, I think it's from like a generational curse. Some type of spirit of infirmity, generational curse. The sins of the forefathers are carried on in the third and fourth generations. And you can literally be born with this generational curse on you that can literally cause these things. And I believe in that man's situation yesterday at Hope Hospice. I believe that's why he was in this type of agony. Was because of that. Because it doesn't make any sense to me any other way that... that no pain meds would knock out the pain. He was still in pain. Nothing they could do. Well, I believe a devil or a demon can override that. So anyway, I just wanted to throw that in. It was it was it was terrible. Um, God bless him. I don't know what his name was, but um, you can pray for him. I don't I don't know if he passed away yesterday or not either. But um, man, I tell you, Hope Hospice that's a, that's a sobering place now. What is that place about? Death. Death. Very few people ever go out of Hope Hospice alive. You know, they put them on morphine, and that's pretty much... And, and you know, they're just trying to keep them comfortable. I'm not saying Hope Hospice... I, I have a lot of mixed feelings about Hope Hospice, to be quite honest with you. Um, I think in some instances, you know, it's, it's warranted. And in some instances, I've seen them just... People that literally could have lived, uh, they go in there and they're dead within a week. Um, I believe it really depends on the circumstance. So I don't want to just make a blanket statement. Um, but anyway, anyway, let's go further. Uh, okay, and he took himself a potsherd to scrape himself with all, and he sat down among the ashes. Then said his wife unto him, here's his adoring wife, dost thou still retain thine integrity? Notice they talk a lot about integrity. It's integrity. I mean, God, God even said, God said to Satan, he said, there's none like him on the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest against him to destroy him without cause. God even used that word integrity. Whew. It's pretty good if you got God bragging on you. <laughs> it doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> what could you do to impress God? I don't know, not a whole lot, but Job figured out a way to do it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Now he did it through the Lord. Okay? I don't want to give Job too much undue credit because it had to be through God. He had to, and it's the same way we are overcomers in Christ. We have to do it through the Lord. We cannot rely on ourselves to do this. What we're talking about. This is supernatural. As far as I'm concerned, everything in this whole chapter, this is what Job was able to accomplish through the Lord is supernatural. It wasn't about Job. It was about what the Lord could do through him. So his wife comes to him, the loving, supportive wife, and said unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Wow, thanks, wifey. That was really nice. Words of encouragement. You know, that song, Stand By Your Man. You know, who sang that? Patsy Klein or something? I don't know. Anyway, um, Stand By Your Man. Anyway, so she said, Curse God and die. Even the wife is on him. What did it matter? To, well, I mean, I know it was her family, but I mean, the devil's even working through her. If you if you see this, he's working through her. I mean, you would think the one person you would want, you know, some comfort or compassion or support from would be your wife. She's the only one left of the family. And what's her advice? Curse God and die. <sighs> God took away even his friends that come. You know? Eliphaz and who we got here? Eliphaz and we've got uh, the other one. Bildad, Bildad the Shuhite, 
Now, and I don't know if you knew this, but Bildad the Shuhite was the normal, smallest man in the Bible. Get it, Bildad the Shuhite? He was only as tall as a shoe. Get it, oh, sorry. Anyway. <laughs> I always wanted to tell that joke. My, my one, the one preacher I went to, he, always, he told that joke about every week. <laughs> I still thought it was funny, though, every time he told it. I love that corny humor. But anyway, um, yeah, his friends didn't help him out too much. His wife sure isn't helping him out. You think you got problems? Read Job. It'll put things in perspective for you. You know what I mean? You know, I mean, like being there at Hope Hospice and realizing that that guy was in that much agony um, with with on major, major, major pain meds. I tell you what, that does put things in perspective for you. Uh, or helps you to, and then, he, and then so okay. So she says, "Curse God and die." Verse ten, Job two says, "But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not not receive the evil, or receive evil?" In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Can you hardly comprehend this? I mean. Man, amazing. Praise the Lord. So he's saying, shall we not receive... The Bible talks about the rainfalls and the just and the unjust. Shall we not receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil? And he didn't sin with his lips. And then it goes on to talk about how his friends came and, you know, they didn't really help much out. (laughs) But it's an interesting thing at the end of Job... I'm just going to skip ahead because we're going to pretty much end here. At the end of Job, um, you know, Job, I mean, Job was wanting to know what was going on. I mean, he can't blame the guy, you know. Um, and, and Job answered the Lord and said, this is verse 42, Job's self-judgment. See, the Bible says if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Very important to judge yourself. Very, 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 very important. Because see, if you will police yourself, and I'm not saying this will work every single time because there may be things about ourselves we don't even know to judge, like presumptuous sins and secret faults. That's why I pray that prayer so much. But if we would judge ourselves and police our own person, we would stay out of so much trouble with the Lord. See, he wouldn't have to judge us. He wouldn't have to maybe correct us and discipline us about certain things if we would do it to ourselves. But it's the hardest thing, I think, for man to do. It really is. It's very hard to judge yourself, to truly look at yourself and say, man, I don't like what I see and I need to change this. But boy, boy, if we do it, we keep ourselves out of a lot of hot water with the Lord. I'm convinced of it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered that I I have uttered that I understand not. Things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will be I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, and now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. When did, when, did, when did he come to that real revelation? Well, verse 5. I have heard of thee by thy hearing of the ear, because God was speaking to him, literally. But now mine eye seeth thee. Whoo, what was his reaction? Wherefore, I abhor myself... <laughs> And repent in dust and ashes. When you see God, the closer you get to God, the more that light shines on your own light, on your own self. Like when um, when Ezekiel, when he was uh, brought up to heaven, that's a, that's a good thing to look Okay, so this is, I'm sorry, I was in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. Man, this is one of those, another one to get you fired up, I think. In the year the king Uzziah died, um, I, this is Isaiah talking. I saw also the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. 
Now remember, we're just transitioning kind of from this verse. I'm going to go back to Job. But we were talking about Job. He actually had heard him and saw God and what happened to him. He abhorred him. He he abhorred his own flesh, his own self, Job did. And he just wanted to be in sackcloth and ashes. The only thing he wanted to do is get as humble as possible before God in his presence. And this is Isaiah's take on it. Um, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And it stood, and above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. Seraphims are, are a type of, um, of, of angelic type being, but they're not, I would say, angels, so to speak, like the angels that we think of. Um... There's a little note here. The seraphim are many in respects in contrast with the cherubim. They are both, they both are expressive of the divine holiness, which demands the sinner shall have access to the divine presence only through a sacrifice, which really vindicates the righteousness of God, and that the saint shall be cleansed, um, shall be cleansed before serving. Um, the cherubim may have said to have to do with the altar and the seraphim with the laver. So, anyway, it's just kind of an interesting side note there. And one, meaning the seraphim, cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts on the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Oh, man, this is the throne room of God. Oh. Woo, I mean, it doesn't get much better than this. Then said I, woe is me. Doesn't this kind of sound like Job a second ago? Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King and the Lord of hosts. That would be your reaction, even as a born-again Christian, I believe, if you were to be in the presence of God. I believe, because being in the presence of God, it humbles you. Um, I, I've got some notes here. It will give you direction. It can also give us hope. It can give us a vision. And without a vision, the people perish. And it can transform us. And it can bring peace to our lives. So he goes on to say, verse 6, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who shall go for us? Then said, I, Here am I, send me. Boy, that'd be awesome. You're in the throne room of God. And you can volunteer <laughs> to go do God's bidding. Woo! Man, it doesn't get much better than that. Oh, wow. And, and, and anyway, I just kind of wanted to say, you know, then it goes on to talk some more there. But how that kind of is similar to... I think Job's reaction in, in Job 42, which we're going to go back to right now. So, wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Verse 7. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said unto Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right. So be careful if you get counsel when you're going through a traumatic event where it seems that God's judgment is upon you. Because, see, they were judging Job as though you brought this on yourself. There had to be something you did to bring this on yourself. In other words, self-righteous judgment, in a way. I mean, wasn't Job suffering enough? Did they have to rub it in? Kind of thing, you know? I mean, wasn't that guy suffering enough? I mean, look at the poor guy. And then they have his friends throwing salt on the wound and, and, and condemning him. He probably already felt so condemned. Can you imagine? And so God rebuked them for doing this. For ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant Job hath. Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer for up. For yourselves a burnt offering. This is how the Lord took care of it in this dispensation in time. And my servant Job shall pray for you. For him will I accept. In other words, he wasn't going to accept their prayers. <laughs> unless Job prayed for him. <laughs> Man. 
lest I deal with you after your folly, in that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job. Wow. So, Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite. Remember, that was the shortest man in the Bible. Just kidding. And Zohar, the Namanite, went and did according as the Lord commanded them. Could you imagine if you got a direct commandment from God? You better believe you're going to do it. (laughs) Oh, man. And they did as the Lord commanded them. The Lord also accepted Job. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job... When he prayed for his friends. Funny. What if Job hadn't prayed for his What if Job had said, no, Lord, I can do everything, but I can't pray for those friends. They stood there, they day after day, uh, rubbed my nose in this situation, condemned me. You even said they weren't speaking on your behalf. They were just sent of Satan, essentially. Condemned me. They had the gall and the arrogance. I can't pray for him, God. Well, I don't know if things would have turned out that great for Job. Because it says the Lord accepted Job and the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Sometimes you could be going through the darkest, darkest time and you're not thinking about anybody but yourself. But the very thing you need to do is turn around and get on your knees for, for one of your friends and pray for that situation. And forget about yourself. I've prayed... You know, I, I think that's just something we need to do. I think that's when God will probably most honor a prayer. When you actually get your eyes off your particular situation, and the worse the situation, the more he's going to honor it, most likely. Because, I mean, let's face it, I mean, you know, it says right here, the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. So, see, Job's captivity, this captivity Satan had put him under, That was done away with when what? Job prayed for his friends. Job showed that he was selfless and that he wasn't about Job and that he was willing to pray for his friends even though they had sat there and self, kind of self-condemned the poor guy. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before and we, we discussed that. Then came unto him all his brethren and all his sisters and all that had been of acquaintance of before, and did eat bread with him in his house, and they bemoaned him, and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him, and every man also gave, actually it was really, the Lord permitted Satan to bring that evil, okay, um, brought upon him and gave, every, and every man also gave him a piece of money, and everyone an earring of gold. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than the beginning. The film is being developed. That's that's the motto of that whole discussion. Okay, I'm going to read this note here. I think it's a good note. It gives a little bit of balance to to what I just said. Um, The problem of which the book of Job is a profound discussion finds here its solution. Brought into the presence of God, Job is revealed to himself. It's like when you get into the presence of God, you're showing yourself. Okay, And that's why I believe when he said, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. We look at that verse in Isaiah. It was the same. It would be the same reaction for any Christian. I don't care if you're like ready to go be martyred. I still think that you're going to pretty much have the same reaction. You know, when the holy God is set in front of you and you're like, whoa, you know, you can't for, you know, there's just some things we can't really comprehend and. Um, in this life, in this body. But Job is real, revealed on himself, in no sense a hypocrite, but godly and possessing a faith with all his afflictions that nothing could shake. But Job was somewhat self-righteous and lacking in somewhat in humility in some ways. Now, I'm not saying Job was totally lacking in humility because look at how he reacted. Okay, But in, jo- in um, chapter 29, If you want to see some evidences of those things, chapter 29 does get into that some, okay? Of some issues he had with maybe self-righteousness and humility. I'm not going to go there right now, but that is one thing. None of us are perfect, okay? I mean, come on! So, but the presence of God, he anticipates, as it were, the experience of Paul, and the problem is solved. The godly are afflicted that they may be brought to self-knowledge and self-judgment. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. 
the godly are afflicted that they be brought to self-knowledge and self-judgment. Cleanse me of presumptuous sins and secret faults that they would not have dominion over me, as the Bible talks about in Psalms. Cleanse me of presumptuous sins. These are sins you presume aren't sins, but are sins in God's eyes. They're presumptuous. Such afflictions are not penial for their sins, but remedial and purifying. Um... Let's see here. The best of all, self-knowledge and self-judgment is the prelude to greater fruitfulness. Um, and they give the verses of Joshua 5.13, Ezekiel 1.28, Ezekiel 2, 1-3, Daniel 10, 5-10, and Revelation 1, 17-19. Self-judgment is so important. But again, I really believe self-judgment is tied in with fear of God and humility. Because those are that, that a byproduct of fear of God would end up being self judgment. If you really fear God, you're gonna you're gonna judge yourselves and, and trust me, spare yourself a lot of heartache. Um, so anyway, I'm gonna go ahead. That's that's our end of our four part study on the cross of Christ. And again, this study should be listened to in light of the teaching I did on overcoming. And if you're unsure about your salvation, the teachings I've done on salvation and baptism. Uh, also, you can access those teachings uh, via contendingfortruth.com. You go to the left-hand corner of the audio page, or of, of, the, of the home page, there's a button called audio. You scroll down just a little bit, you'll see a sentence that talks about an archive. You click on that, and it'll be in there. Now, if you want to search for it, you go up to YouTube, and um, this teaching I'm doing right now will not be available on YouTube probably immediately, but it will be shortly once I post it, and um, you go up to YouTube and you do keyword search for Scott Johnson, and or the word cross, overcoming, salvation, baptism, you'll find them all up there. So that's another way you can access them. Okay, we'll go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time, day and time you've given us, for all your goodness and all your mercy and all your blessings, Lord God, you've bestowed upon us, for the air that we breathe, the water that we drink, the food that we eat, just the simplest things in life, Lord, that you give us every day that we take for granted. And there's so much I'm sure we do take for granted, Lord, that we may never even in this lifetime think to thank you for. You know those things, Lord, and I, we just, I just thank you for them right now, Lord, that, that for all of your mercy, Lord, for our salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, through his death, burial, and resurrection, his finished work on the cross, the the precious blood he shed to save our souls. We thank you for these things. Pray for our unsaved family members, Lord, and for those around us that you put in our lives that are unsaved. I just pray, Lord, that whatever it takes to get these people saved, Lord, that 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 you would do, the goodness and the severity of the Lord leadeth thee to repentance. Whatever it takes, Lord, I pray that that be the case, that nothing would be able to demonically hinder this prayer in any way, shape, or form. I pray you bless my listeners, Lord, the body of Christ, the weak, the innocent, the orphans, the unborn babies in the womb, the little ones, Lord, the widows. I I just pray you bless them, Lord, that your angels would encamp around about them, the blood of Jesus Christ be over them, Lord, that you would use them and bless them and protect them, use them mightily, the body of Christ, for your glory, and that through the body of Christ many would be saved. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.